Welcome to Dollars and Cents, creating your fulfilled life with Nicole Romito from Private Vista. In this podcast, we draw from years of experience as well as guest specialists to help you create the life you imagine. Join us in this journey as we enlighten and empower you to align your lifestyle to help you achieve your goals with a clear picture of your future. Now, let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to Dollars and Cents with your host, Nicole Romito. Nicole, what's going on? Hey, Eric. How are you today? I'm doing fabulous as usual. Ah, fabulous. I'm going to use the other F word. Fantastic. Oh, I love it. We're off to a rolling start. Yes. And you have a guest in studio, which is outstanding. And I, I, I think he's a partner, if I'm not mistaken. You are correct. You know, we like to do a mix of having um, some of my private Vista colleagues and then also outside guests. But today we are very fortunate to have in studio with us one of my partners, Steve Mertinger. Hi, Steve. Welcome. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. We appreciate uh, your time and all the great information you're going to share today. Great. Yeah. So as I mentioned, um, I have my partner, Steve Mertinger, in studio with me today, and we are going to talk all things annuities um, with interest rates finally coming up from uh, many, many years of being at zero. There certainly has been more interest and um, also some more use for annuities. But Steve and I are going to walk you through, um, in our opinion, when we think they're applicable and the basic information you need to know when you're considering buying one. That's great. I mean, I I know a little bit about annuities. I know that the audience uh, has, has probably heard all sorts of different things, positive and negative. So I'm really glad you guys are addressing this. So I'm excited to learn. Thank you. Great. So before we jump into our topic at hand, I do want to give a little bit of background on Steve for our listeners. Um, Steve has been a financial planner since the mid-80s. He enjoys helping people consider priorities for both themselves and their families and working closely with them to turn their hopes and dreams into reality. Before Steve became a financial planner, he worked in his own family's business, which gives him a very personal understanding of the financial dynamics of working in a family-owned business, including the issues of planning for succession and helping business owners attempt to turn their equity into cash. Uh, Steve, when you're not working with your clients and helping them realize their hopes and dreams, uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about what you and Marsha and your lovely family enjoy doing? Yeah, so Marsha and I have two children. We have a son, Scott, who's 25 and is working in investment banking. Our daughter, Carly, is 23, a recent graduate from DePaul School of Education and looking for teaching jobs. So that you know, we're moving into that next phase of our life where maybe they will both be out of the house and we're looking forward to maybe a little bit more traveling, less time in Chicago in the winter. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. And I know I can't believe uh, that Scott and Carly are in their 20s. I remember when they were eight and 10 and coming in the office to help us with our filing projects. So so kudos, kudos to you and Marsha for uh, just about having them launched. All right. So with that, let's go ahead and start talking about our topic, which, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about annuities. Um, Annuities have been around, I would say, for as long as both you and I have. Um, And I think we would both agree that they are sold, not bought. And so we want to make sure that we're educating our listeners on understanding both sides of the coin of it. And I know we're going to wrap up with some uh, key takeaways on that. 
So why don't you, for our listeners, kind of walk through the basics of annuities 101, if you will. Sure. And I, I, I agree. The annuities are sold, not bought. So the idea of an annuity is at, at the baseline, an annuity is an insurance contract. So it's offered by an insurance company. And anytime something is offered as an insurance contract, there are fees and costs that go along with it. If you think about annuities, there's two basic types that we probably see in the marketplace. One is a fixed annuity, which the would be very similar in concept to a CD. So an insurance company is going to offer you a fixed rate of return for a fixed period of time and guaranteed by the insurance company. After that fixed period of time, you generally have your choice of renewing it, again, much like a CD, or cashing it in. The difference with annuities is the big potential benefit of an annuity is tax deferral, which you would not get for the CD. So if I'm being offered 5% for three years, that 5% would continue to accrue and be added to the value of the annuity, but I would not pay tax on it until I take the money out. A CD or any other bank account, as income is earned, you're taxed in the year that it's earned. So the other thing that's unique to an annuity in an insurance contract is generally they come along with surrender charges. On a fixed product, they generally will, the surrender period will generally be the same as a guarantee period. So if I bought a three-year guaranteed rate annuity at the end of the third year, I would generally have the ability to take my money out without any surrender costs, just tax consequences when I take it out. Another key difference between an annuity and a more traditional security is growth on an annuity when it comes out is always taxed as ordinary income. So there are no capital gains with an annuity. So just for our listeners out there, ordinary income, to put it in layman's terms, would be it's going to be taxed just like your salary or cash bonus are, and it's going to depend on what tax bracket you fall in for that particular year. Right, exactly correct. The other option that you find, so you, you can find guarantee periods today, as Nicole said, with interest rates going up, interest rates on annuity products, fixed annuity products has also gone up. And the longer you go out, it's very much like a bond type of thing. It, the rates get adjusted. The unique thing, again, about annuities in this market, just like bonds, generally you would think if I went out longer, I would get a higher interest rate. They actually tend to flatten out as they go longer now. And so you could do anything up to 10 years. It's just a question of how much time you want to have your money tied up for on a fixed annuity. They are also offering, you find their so-called indexed annuities. And in those, instead of a guaranteed rate, what it does allow you to pick some index similar to a security, whether it's the S&P 500 or some other index, that the return will be tied to the performance of that index over a period of time. The way that it's often sold as the benefit is that it can never be negative. So if you had a year like last year where the S&P 500 was down 18%, not sure if that's exactly correct, but somewhere in that area. Close enough for government work, right? right? <laughs> so the, the annuity would say that we'll guarantee that your number won't be negative. It'll only, the worst case is it doesn't go up, it can't go down. But since it is an insurance product and insurance companies understand the time value of money and how to charge for things better than anybody. <laughs> so in that, there are generally some restrictions. So the biggest caveat to any annuity is you should really understand the details about how it works and what you're actually getting compared to what the alternative would be. 
So if it caps, if it limits your downside, it generally is also going to cap your upside. So understanding those trade-offs is key anytime you're considering an annuity as an investment product. The other side of annuities generically would be what are known as variable annuities. The big differences in a variable annuity, you get to pick your investments much the same as if you went to any brokerage thing and tried to pick and pick an investment. You can pick a range of funds with all different characteristics from stocks, bonds, guaranteed accounts. So you control the investments. So similar to perhaps if your employer offers a 401k, there's a limited menu of options. But to your point, typically you're going to have things ranging from a money market or stable value fund all the way to more um, uh, risk, typically risky investments such as smaller companies and emerging market stocks. Exactly. So you can deploy your capital, you can allocate it in a way that fits your risk profile. The characteristic, again, of a, a variable one, not unlike a fixed one at its baseline level, is its deferred income. So you don't currently pay tax on any earnings or appreciation. But on the variable side, that the taxation part is even more important to understand. If you pick traditional investments and invested your money in those same funds, and they grew in value, the underlying asset grew in value, when you sold that underlying asset, you would get favorable tax treatment, capital gains tax treatment, which today under today's rules is favorable to, as Nicole talked about, income before income that you receive like salary, bonus, that type of thing. The other characteristic of, vari of variable annuities is that you can add different riders to them. So the riders that you can typically add, and by the way, a rider also comes with an expense. So anytime you're getting a rider on an annuity, a variable annuity, I apologize, you're paying for that rider somewhere. It's not good or bad, but it is insurance and you are paying for it. So the, the riders you would typically see the way it's often sold is if you buy this, we'll guarantee you some rate of return on your money. Today's world, that's probably somewhere around 6% no matter what happens to your investments. And then they'll guarantee income to you for a period of time after that. Those riders are generally called guaranteed minimum income benefit riders. And they'll typically have an expense of somewhere around one and a half percent per year of the value of your account. They also can do it based on a death benefit. It's similar. There'll be a guaranteed minimum death benefit. That would be the amount you invested plus some increase every year, again, those fees are incremental to the fees you're paying in the funds and the fees that you pay for the wrapper. So when you hear about the generally the downside of variable annuities is the the wrap against them is that they're expensive. And, and Steve, can you give, I know there's a whole host of insurance companies that offer annuities and even within one company, they're going to have a whole um, host of product offerings. But generally for our listeners, can you maybe give a range understanding that we're not saying this will be your specific cost, but just to give people an idea of maybe for the variable annuity, a base contract, maybe X percent. And then if you add on one of these guaranteed income benefit riders, what are we maybe typically looking at? So typically in a regular retail variable annuity, the base cost that will be in there from the insurance company would be what they refer to as a mortality and expense fee. 
It's generally going to be somewhere around one and a quarter or one and a half percent of the value of the assets. And that's a fee that comes off your return every year. When you add- And that's just for the base product or what we may say sometimes the base chassis of it. Correct. So no frills or anything like that, just to get into a variable annuity contract, we're looking at generally speaking, one and a quarter to one and a half percent of the value of initially the amount you put in. And then as that account hopefully grows. Correct. So that's the baseline cost of of having the, the benefit of essentially tax deferral. Okay. When you add to that, you'd be adding for riders. So the typical cost of a guaranteed minimum income benefit rider is probably somewhere in the area of another one and a quarter to one and a half percent per year of the account value. And similarly, when you have a guaranteed minimum death benefit rider, it's going to look the same. So if you added up the insurance company fees, it could range anywhere from three and three quarter percent to maybe as high as four and a half percent, which comes off of your return each and every year. So that when people talk about them being expensive, you're comparing that to the cost of not having the wrapper around it. So you get you are potentially getting a benefit, mm-hmm. but there's a cost that goes with the benefit. Additionally, any fund you pick, just like if you pick the mutual fund in the marketplace, those often have fees themselves. So that's going to be consistent. The fee inside the mutual fund has nothing to do with the fact that it's in an annuity. And that is going to totally depend on the fund you pick. You'll find so-called index funds and annuities. So those will be relatively lower internal costs. You'll find what are referred to as actively managed funds in there. Those are going to have relatively higher, but that's not an extra cost of having the annuity. That's a cost of owning a fund. Yeah, that's a cost of using either someone to put together this basket of securities to mimic the index, or as you mentioned, actively management, there's a person or a team of people who are deciding what securities they either do or do not want to own Correct. within their mandate. Correct. Okay. So the other factor, if you thought about two pieces to an annuity, one is the accumulation phase where you're accumulating money, The second part of it is what happens when you want the money. Yes. So one of the potential benefits to an annuity fixed or variable is the idea that you could go back to that insurance company and say, my policy is now worth X dollars. How much money will you pay me for the rest of my life and maybe another life, my spouse's life, if we want to guarantee income? And then the it's, it, that would be referred to as annuitizing the contract. So they are then going to pay you, they'll tell you based on your age and rates in the marketplace, how much they would pay you for some fixed period of time, which can be as long as your lifetime, or you could pick a shorter period of time. So the benefit in some situations is that you cannot outlive your payments. So the the way it's often sold is you're going to get this. Think of it as a second social security. Think of it as a A pension. pension, Right. Uh, It's often sold that way. The the benefits are not backed by the government. They are backed by state insurance commissions. And each state is going to be different in terms of how much of your principal they'll guarantee. But once you annuitize it, it's not guaranteed by anybody. So if if that insurance company were to have a problem go out of business, assuming they didn't 
get bought by another company, mm-hmm. you, you know, that is a risk that exists. You can do the same thing on a variable one. So you can either turn on, if you have the, the rider for guaranteed minimum income benefit, you can turn that on. You could annuitize it and you can always cash them in. Again, the big difference is any money that comes out of an annuity is treated as income first before you get to return of your principal. So it's, you're going to- Which be- would then be tax-free, correct? Right. Because yeah. you've already paid taxes on it before you put it in the contract. Correct. And and that follows you around. So you can't get away from that problem by, at the end of a guarantee period, switching companies. The amount you invested, your so-called basis for tax purposes, follows that contract. So if I put 50000 in one today and it grew to a hundred, and I could take it out of there and go into a new one, which you can generally do tax-free, a tax-free exchange. My basis in the new one is the same as I had when I originally did it. So it remains at 50,000 versus even though your deposit into the new contract will be 100,000, they still track and say, well, you put 50 in originally. So that's the amount of your basis or premiums paid in the annuity world, or as a lot of, uh, I think our listeners might refer to as my initial deposit. Correct. So- I, I, before we move on, I would like to, and you're probably looping around here, but one key thing to understand, I think two things to add on to your comments about annuitization is one, if you do choose the annuitization option, um, just to reiterate what you said, you're getting a, a income stream and it could be for a single life or on your life only. Or if you're married, you may choose to do it over a joint life. So whoever, as long as you know one of the spouses is alive, they will get income for both their lives. But one of the things we want our listeners to understand is with annuitization, you lose all access or control to the contract. Correct. You lose. There is no liquidity. It would right. be one way to describe it, as opposed to if I had a, a pot of money and I was paying income out to myself, but I needed a larger chunk or something came up where I needed more cash. Right. I could go to my investment account and take it. Once you annuitize it with an insurance company, the ability to do that is gone. So you don't. You lose the liquidity. So you'd always want to be aware of how much money you tie up where you don't have access to that cash. It's a great point. And the other thing I know we've talked about taxation, which um, really is just such a big part of conversations we are continually having with clients. Um, And I know at Private Vista, we subscribe to the the philosophy of we definitely want to take taxes into consideration, but we don't want to let the tax tail wag the dog. However, with, you know, as we know, Steve, you and I have lived enough of life to know there's pros and cons to every decision or choice that we have. So with annuitization, one of the downsides or potential cons could be, as you just highlighted, the lack of liquidity. One of the upsides that comes with it is on the tax treatment, where do you want to maybe share kind of high level the exclusion ratio? Right. So when money comes out of an annuity in the form of annuitization, Every payment consists of two components. One is partially your own money coming back to you, which is the coal just referred to is the exclusion amount. So that amount is not going to be taxable to you because you have already paid tax on that piece of it. The second component is going to be earnings. The earnings part, as we talked about previously, that will be 
taxed to you just like any other income you receive. So just like your salary, just like bonus. So that's the second component of the payment that that you receive back with an annuity. The other thing that you always want to be aware of is how they're structured and where you own it. So one of the things that we see all the time that we are not a big fan of is you find annuities and IRAs. Mm, yes. So an IRA already has that component of tax deferral. So that key benefit of annuity is already gone because you already have it. So if you're so gonna, you'd be paying if you're purely doing it for tax deferral, you'd really be paying for a benefit that you already have because it has the IRA wrapper around it. Correct. So th- then, if you're looking at a fixed one, it's all about rates of return and potential liquidity or illiquidity during the guarantee period. If it's a variable one, it's the same issue that. I've already got tax deferral on that growth. Do I need to be paying for it twice? And not only paying for it twice, you're paying potentially those excess fees once you have it in there. And you've also, when it's in the annuity wrapper, you've also given up any type of potential like access to it, right? For some period of time. Right. Mo- most retail annuities, variable and fixed, are going to have some surrender period because they're often sold through brokerage type relationships, there's almost always some compensation being paid. The way the insurance company recovers the money is by having surrender charges. So not that whoever provided the service to you isn't entitled to compensation, right? but you should understand what you're paying and why you're paying it and how much that actual cost is to you because it's not disclosed separately. It's not required to be. There are variable annuities now that are available that are not part of that traditional chassis, as Nicole referred to it. So you have them that are more registered investment advisory type products. So what they've done is taken out a lot of those expenses, a lot of those fees, replaced by a fixed expense. So if I was going to use one, I might be more inclined to look at the difference between them. Because if you think about how they're used, if you have a variable annuity and you're investing it in securities, traditionally you're thinking of those securities as longer term investments. Right. In addition, if it's got a surrender charge, you're going to leave the money in there for that same period of time. So I would suggest that a comparison you'd want to see is what if I pick those exact same mutual funds, left it alone for 10 years, and I'll compare that to what the variable annuity looks like over that same 10-year period. Because what you're going to see the difference is are all those fees that we talked about before. Right. And even the same thing on a fixed one, if you're using the so the so-called indexed annuities, take the same comparison. Take historical returns on whatever index you pick. Pretend you invested your money for that same period of time and you left it alone, like you're going to do in the annuity. Mm-hmm. And then look at what your returns are, because what you're going to see is the difference of what giving away the upside means to you. So if I get downside protection and give away the upside, what does that really mean over a 10-year period? The only way to do it is to do the actual projection. And then, as we talked about before, don't forget about taxes. Right. If I don't use the annuity and I take money out, I can control how that money is taxed. Some of it's going to get favorable treatment for capital gains. Others, I can determine how much of my basis I take back and when. If it's in the annuity, when I take it out, 
short of a, the only way to take it out and, and continue to defer some taxes is to annuitize it. If I want to take it out during the time frame that I want, so certain amounts and different amounts in different years, I always have to take the income first. So there's no there's no exclusion ratio unless you annuitize. Hey, pardon the interruption. I know you are listening to Dollars and Cents, creating your fulfilled life with Nicole Romito, and we're happy you're here. If you have any questions, please head over to myprivatevista.com or the show notes to find out how to reach us. We'd love to hear from you. Right. So I just want to add on to that too. When we were talking about the variable annuities and one of the riders would be a, um, it's often positioned or sold as we'll give you a lifetime income stream. And those are often tied to the accounts of we'll guarantee you a certain return. Well, a minimum return. You, you Typically, I've seen you get the greater of X percent or market return, whichever is greater. Um, and oftentimes, they'll guarantee that for maybe 10, 15 years. But I have found um, uh, oftentimes the pe- people are not understanding of how you can access what you and I would refer to like that bucket of money. So I think it'd be great if you could share with our listeners kind of the double bookkeeping that occurs with these variable annuities that have the lifetime income, or I know you use the official terms of the guaranteed minimum income benefit, or I think guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefit. Because it's generally a conversation you and I and our colleagues have every year with our clients because, A, they're not living, eating, and breathing this like we are. So you have to refresh their memories. And it is it is not very straightforward, if you will. So I think it's like, what's your, I, I try to use the term your walkaway value. And then what's your value if you're turning on that lifetime income stream? Right. And those are two very different numbers. Yes, they are. Refer to because they... They really do keep, if it, the best word I've heard is sort of like a shadow account. Yes. So think of your contract value as the money that you can get when you want it, but the guaranteed amount is a shadow amount. And the only way that you actually can access the guaranteed amount is by turning on the income benefit. And once you turn on an income benefit, you generally have to keep it on. And the other thing it does is when you start taking money out, it reduces the other pot. So your actual dollars go down by the amount you take out of the shadow one, but they are not the same total value. So I could easily have my account value be 100 and my shadow account or my income benefit account be 150, but I cannot access that 150. I can only access the income off of that 150. So when when you think about how annuities are sold again, I don't know that it's always explained exactly that way when we're buying it. And that's the caveat to all of it is you really want to understand what it is you're buying and what it is you're paying for and how does that compare? Because that's, that's where you'll see the difference and you need to make sure you're okay with it. Annuities aren't good or bad. They're, as Nicole referred to in the beginning, they're a tool. When with the right fact pattern and 100% understanding, there's no issue with with using them. But I would tell you that, as Nicole talked about, I've been doing this for a while. I would say way more often than not, people didn't really understand or don't really understand what it is they own, how it works, 
or why they bought it other than someone told them there was a guaranteed return on it. Right. Or a lifetime, right? You cannot outlive the income. So, and then that's, you know, not an unattractive feature, but as you said, it's really understanding how, what is the tool and then understanding your overall financial picture and what you're trying to accomplish. Cause they very well could have a place in your overall plan. But um, I think as we've outlined, really understanding the cost of these guarantees, the fact you're locking up the money, you know, changing from maybe a more favorable tax treatment to a less favorable tax treatment. You just want to make sure you're examining it from all the different angles to make sure that's your most optimal choice for you. I, I think that's exactly correct. The other thing that we have seen over the years is these things can tend to be emotional purchases. Mm. So when do we get most emotional about investing is when things go down. Yes. So if you looked at the history of how these things have been developed and when the most, the largest amount of them are sold, think back 2008, 2018, 2023. After big corrections, who doesn't want to hear about guaranteed can't lose money. <laughs> exactly. So that, that, but it's not an accident that you've seen these things proliferate since those periods of time. And even if you go back, so the older contracts are more favorable than the newer ones, because one of the things the insurance companies right. realized and understood is they had actuarial, assum actuarial assumptions about when people, if people would turn on the income benefit, and if they were going to, when would they do it? Well, after 2008 and the financial meltdown, yes, all bets were off because you had people at very young ages where their accounts had gone down by 25 or 30 percent, suddenly turning on an income benefit that these insurance companies didn't think would ever be turned on. So the result of that is newer contracts were adjusted to limit your ability to do it. They were adjusted to limit your choices and how you invest the money. Right. So it, it is an emotional decision when you start talking about guarantees. And when we're most likely to want a guaranteed downside is after a correction, which is, you know, now you sold something when it's down to go reallocate it for higher fees. You just need to be really aware of what I, I want. I don't want to say being done to you, but how products are developed and how they're being sold to you as an individual. Yeah, those are great points. I know another thing we saw the insurance company change, especially after 08, 09, is um, a lot of times if if you were younger and you were being sold the annuity, why not juice it and go 100% equities? Um, so I've seen a lot, I know we've seen a lot of these contracts where the limit, you know, you might only be able to put 70, maybe 80% in equities because the insurance company's trying to hedge their bets. Right, their bets. So and then they also have the ability to automatically rebalance them as a result of that. So yes, if market returns made it too heavy to stocks, they have the ability to arbitrarily go in and do that. So I think the last point we wanted to cover, Steve, is um kind of the structuring of the contract, because there can be three parties to that. There's the owner or owners, the annuitant um, and beneficiary, and those can all be singular or multiple people. So why don't we share a little bit about our thoughts on that at a high level? And I will tell you, this is one of the things that we find is almost always messed up. So the, the annuitant is the measuring life. So it's whose life they're going to measure the benefit against 
if you actually annuitize the contract. Okay. Or and just again for our listeners, or turn on the income stream. Correct. Okay. The owner is who owns it, and it does not necessarily have to be the annuitant. But each company is different in terms of what how you can move forward on the annuity and what happens in the event of death if you haven't already taken the money out, obviously. So a contract's either going to be owner-driven or annuitant-driven, but you one's not better than the other, but you want to make sure you understand what it is so they get it right. And in almost all cases, you would never want to have a non-person be the beneficiary. So you wouldn't want to ever have a trust as the beneficiary because it's taxed very differently and the rules are very different for taxation for a trust versus an individual. So you always want, you would, I would say there's almost no circumstance where you'd want a trust to actually be the beneficiary. You'd want an individual or individuals to be the beneficiary. The other key point about an annuity, when you talk about the age appropriateness of them, is annuities are treated like IRAs for tax purposes. So if you're under 59 and a half and you take money out of an annuity, you pay the same penalty you would pay with an IRA. So there's a 10% penalty off the top. And then any of the income you took that's not your principal is subject to regular tax rates. So that's the other caveat. You probably don't want to ever plan on taking the money out before you're 59 and a half if you're putting money into an annuity today. So the characteristics for ownership, always want to know whose life it's being measured against. So that's the annuitant. Who the owner is, which is who's going to control the policy. So if I want to make a change, generally it's the owner who gets to make that change and who the beneficiaries are. They oftentimes will also allow you for spouses. So if I passed away and I owned an annuitant, oftentimes my spouse would have the ability just to step into my shoes and continue the contract. But you'd want to make sure you understood that before you bought it because not everyone is the same. Each company has its own set of rules that you want to be aware of for any contingency. And the other thing that would go with that is when you think of it in terms of does company A pay the same thing as company B if I want to turn the income on or annuitize it? And the answer is no. They have their own tables about life expectancy. They'll have their own assumptions about annuity rates. So you can't just assume that if I gave it to company A and then I wanted to look at annuitizing it that I never have to go get competitive quotes because they are not going to be the same. They may not be dramatically different, but they may very likely they won't likely they won't be the same. Okay. The other point would be payouts can be adjusted. So typically the payouts are going to be a function of your age and interest rates. However, there are companies if you have a serious health issue that will actually increase your age for annuitization. So the older you are, the more money is paid out for the same period of time because it's based on your age and life expectancy. So if I did have an annuity and I did have a severe health problem that that truly affected my life expectancy, again, that's something you'd want to go out and shop because there are companies that will pay you more based on that. Yeah. So I think our key takeaway really today is um, annuities are complicated. 
So I love your color on it that they're neither good nor bad. I mean, really with most things in life, right? It, it depends. The other thing before we kind of wrap up with our key takeaways is I know you and I have talked about is annuities are, they can be a great tool while you're alive. They're generally not the best asset to die with. Do you want to add some comments on you know why we generally feel that way? Sure. I think it, it has to do with flexibility and taxation again. So with an annuity, because it's paid by beneficiary designation, it's going to go outside of your estate to whoever the beneficiary is. So there are some estate planning considerations that go along with that. There's also requirements. So if I'm leaving it to my kids or I happen to leave it to a trust, there are requirements about when they have to take the money out of it by. So they, the, the timeline for that is they have to have taken it out within five years of the date of my death. So they don't have to take anything. There's no required distribution. On an annual basis an annual for basis, that five years. But they have have to take it out and pay that tax by the end of the fifth year, or it's going to get paid out to them regardless. Okay. So from a taxation control liquidity point of view, it's almost like the old retirement plan adage was the best place to have money the day before you die, retirement plan. Worst place to have it the day after you die, a retirement plan. So annuities are a little bit better, but not a whole lot when it comes to that. Yeah. And I think too, just to kind of circle back to your original example of if you were putting money in an account, you know, a taxable account, whether it's in your name, your your trust, or jointly with someone, um, upon your death at that point, you get what we call a step up in basis. So if you had in invested a hundred thousand dollars at your death, it was worth two hundred. Um, the value or your basis steps up to the 200. So your beneficiaries do not have to pay any capital gains taxes. Um, annuities are not afforded that same treatment. And as we have really, I think, um, emphasized today, annuities are always at ordinary income and there is no step up in basis. Correct. So that's the other thing to, to consider as well. Yep. So I would say if I could have one more. Absolutely, one more, please. One of the things I've seen over the years is people try to deal with that basis issue by taking their original amount and buying multiple different policies. So the, the answer to that is you can do it, but you can't do it with the same company. Mm, so we okay. had a client come in one time who had three different policies all with the same company. And when we asked them why, so well, because the taxes, I can liquidate one and not the others, and I, I don't have the same tax issue. Well, you do. The only way to get away from it is if you do multiple policies and you actually liquidate the policy. So you, you can mitigate the problem. It doesn't go away, but you can control it by planning around it. Okay. That Yeah, that sounds like too, I guess, again, depending on the situation, how complicated do you want or need to make things be? Right. But that's right. that's great to share that um, insight as well. So I think in wrapping up, why don't we kind of just highlight our key takeaways for our listeners? I mean, I, yeah. I can start with one. I mean, uh, the one is, you know, I think you really need to understand what you're buying and why. And I, you know, so really understand how does this fit into your overall situation? Understand the total amount of fees you're paying, how long you're locking up or having your funds be illiquid, 
And then what is, you know, what are your options on when, if, and when you do want to choose to turn on an income stream? So I'll start off with that one. What are some others you want to share? So I think the the bottom line is, as we talked about before, there are no free lunches. If you're getting a benefit somewhere, you're paying for it. Yeah. So understand what you're paying for, how much you're paying for. And again, we're not saying it's it's wrong, but we just you want to be educated and understand what you're paying for, so you can determine if you're getting the value you think you are. Exactly. So if there's a value, whether it's psychic or real to me, and I understand it, then all's good. You know, go for it. Absolutely. Yeah. And and as Nicole said originally, the annuities are not good or bad. They they are a tool, just like any other investment or financial product. It can fit in. It it can also be misrepresented and and be put in places it doesn't belong. And then the one of the other ones that we've talked a lot about is taxation. They are a different animal in terms of how they're taxed on a lot of different levels. So income tax, estate tax, rules for withdrawal. There are a lot of a lot of different issues that you want to make sure that you have your arms around so you're not surprised or more importantly, someone else isn't surprised when they have to make those choices. And I think that the last one, Nicole, was understanding how much cash you need. Yes. And when you're going to need it, because as we spoke about earlier, you do lose some amount of liquidity when you buy an annuity, either for the period when there's potential surrender charges or in the period once you turn on the income. Great. Well, I I think that was a great way to wrap up this episode. I think if if anyone takes anything away, this is a very complex product uh, and tool. Um, So we could, you know do episodes solely on fixed annuities, the variable annuities, the taxation, the structuring of the contract. But we really just wanted to, for our listeners to give you an overview of points to consider and things to be aware of if you are thinking about buying one or um, as Steve and I have highlighted, if you're being sold one. So Steve, I do want to thank you for your time, sharing all your insights and your experience with our listeners. Before we kind of wrap up this episode, uh, I think, as you know, since I know you are an avid listener of our podcast, I ask all my guests um, a question. So, you know, if there were no financial constraints, uh, nothing constraining where you and um, I'm going to include Marsha in this because I'm going to assume she's going to be part of it, uh, is where would you guys most like to live and why? So the, the answer is New Zealand. Ah, Love it. We have been there as a family. In my prior life, I played rugby. I had the opportunity to go there twice before that. That's amazing. And it's my favorite place to go. I think Marsh's as well. So that's, I think, everything else being equal, if we could do it, we would do it. I love it. Well, I hope you'll have a guest room for me because that is definitely on my list of places I want to visit. So thank you. Thank you. And if... um. Any of our listeners want to call in and, you know, either maybe talk to you about annuities they have or, you know, pick your brain a little more on it conceptually. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? It's either through email, which is my first letter of my first name, my last name at my private Vista. You can call me direct at 312-831-4426. So those are probably the best ways to do it and happy to 
give you our insight or look at what you have and tell you how it's built and what you ought to be thinking about. More than happy to do that for anybody who pings us. Okay, great. Thank you so much. All right. This has been fantastic. And Steve, if you need anybody help, any help in New Zealand, I make a mean grilled cheese. So <laughs> if you're looking for a really good grilled cheese, I'd be more than happy to hang out with you. No um, guys, this is great. I'm glad you gave the contact information at the end because this is complicated. Like you said, this, it's not good or bad. It's individualized. So I love the fact that you gave contact information. Thank you so much for uh, both for, for being here and, and doing the podcast. And of course, our last thank you goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Dollars and Cents podcast with Nicole Romito. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way when Nicole comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Private Vista, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Dollars and Cents, Creating Your Fulfilled Life with Nicole Romito, sponsored by Private Vista. Visit our website at www.myprivatevista.com or give us a call at 312-831-4370. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Private Vista is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Private Vista and Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions, or results obtained from the use of this information. Private Vista and Hightower Advisors, LLC, assume no liability for action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced. Such data and other information are subject to changes without notice. This was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.